your friends in Christ. There is an old preacher's joke about the pastor of a church in a farming community. He's happy with his ministry and his people, but over the years, one man becomes a problem he can just never solve. Joe is, by all appearances, a really great guy, a pillar of the community, very active in church, and he always has an encouraging word for the pastor. But over the years, the pastor becomes aware that Joe has a problem with lying. We're not talking little white lies or the polite lies that people tell to avoid hurting other people. Joe tells whoppers, but he never gets called out on them and never gets in trouble with them. At first, the pastor thought maybe Joe was was just somehow he just somehow lost track of the truth or something. But eventually, he realized that that Joe often lied for no reason at all and about things that there was no reason to lie about. The pastor, however, was not good at confrontation. He also figured that if he went straight to Joe and pointed out his sin, Joe would probably just lie about what he had been doing. So the pastor decided. His best option was simply to preach to get the message across and hopefully lead Joe to repentance. So he started with a sermon on seven deadly sins and oh, he pulled out all the stops in the one about lying. And on the way out after that service, Joe told him, Boy, Pastor, great sermon. You really told him. So the pastor switched gears decided to preach seemingly unconnected sermons on stories from the Bible, but every story included people who lied. He condemned the sin as harshly as it could be condemned and encouraged everyone to repent of it. And on the way out, after each service, Joe told him, Boy, pastor, great sermon. You really told them today. This went on all throughout the fall and into the winter. And finally, one January weekend, a blizzard struck the town. And the pastor figured with all that snow, no one was going to make it to worship. But when he trudged across the parking lot and made it into the church, there was Joe, and only Joe, waiting for the service to start. And the pastor thought, this is it. This is my chance. There's no way that he can avoid what I have to say today. And so he got up in the pulpit and preached and preached and preached against the sin of lying. He gave a heartfelt plea that every Christian examine his heart and life and that if that sin was there, to confess it and turn away from it forever and begin telling nothing but the truth. And this time he felt that his message must have got through. When he made his way to the back of the church to greet his only hearer, Joe shook his hand and said, Boy, Pastor, great sermon. If they'd have been here today, you really would have told them. Now, why couldn't Joe hear the message and apply it to his own heart and life? He wasn't deaf. He wasn't stupid. He had a problem deeper than his lying. Pride. He was more than happy to hear other people criticized and condemned, but he would not allow any thought that threatened his high opinion of himself to even enter his mind. 
when we look at the final part of Matthew's passion history, which we read earlier, we see plenty of examples of human pride which gets in the way of God's message in the same way. Did Pilate's soldiers really stop to consider that their idea of dressing up and abusing one that many acclaimed as the very Son of God might not actually be a good idea? Did Pilate himself consider that, that perhaps his mocking notice of Christ's crime, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, might be inadvisable? After all, he had heard about the things that this man from Nazareth had done, demonstrating divine power. People passing by showed their pride in offering insults and mockery. The only idea about Jesus that they were willing to entertain was the one that held him to be a weak and offensive fool, which kept them free of responsibility for their words and actions against him even though it's inconceivable that they did not know about the power that he had exercised and the good he had done. And of course, his enemies, the chief priests, experts in the law, and elders of the people were the worst. They knew better than anyone that this crucifixion was all a big lie, that they had manufactured everything with the sole intent of putting Jesus to death. And they not only knew that he was perfectly innocent, they had also seen his works, heard his preaching, and and they had been able, if they had bothered, to compare Christ and his message to the prophecies of the Old Testament and see that he was their long-promised Messiah and the Son of God. But pride completely crowded out any such considerations crowded it out of their hearts and minds entirely. He was a threat, not only to their power and influence, but to their opinion of themselves as the best of the best that the Jewish nation had to offer. In their thinking, anything that they decided to do was, by definition, good, righteous, and God-pleasing. And since what Jesus taught and stood for condemned them as sinners, scammers, and posers, well, they simply would not listen, no matter how true his message might be. But before we get too comfortable pointing our fingers and looking down our noses at those long-dead, Christ-killing crowds and conspirators, let's remember that pride is hardly a rare or ancient artifact. Believers like Joe and Christians like you and me are still sinners, and since pride is basically the original sin, we've got it too. It is most certainly pride that hears the Word of God, whether in in a sermon, a a conversation with a friend, or finds it in something printed, and takes its condemnation of your sinful thoughts, words, and actions, or its instructions to, to live your life in a particular way, and says, well, that doesn't apply to me. 
It is also sinful pride that simply insists that your idea about something or your way of doing things is the only right one and that anyone who does or suggests anything different, well, must necessarily be dumb or motivated by ill will or evil intent. It is pride that refuses, for instance, to review, visit one's prior pronouncements and practices and simply say, I was wrong then, and the others that I derided as fools then were actually right. And it is pride that thinks that there is something special about you. Your race, your sex, your character, your wealth, your history, your contributions, your age, your youth, your education, whatever. Something that gives you more importance or authority than everybody around you. And makes it so that, of course, you should always get your way. Now I say all this as someone who is way way, way too well acquainted with the arrogance in his own heart. Don't be a Joe. Own up to your sinful pride. We all have it, and we all need to repent of it and do better. Be instead like the criminal on the cross next to Jesus, who at first joined with the crowds and the guy on the other side and mocked Jesus as though they somehow were of greater character or value than their Savior. But he later realized how foolish that was, and in repentant, hopeful faith, turned and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or take a cue from the centurion, who saw the evidence of the earthquake and all that happened, combined it with what he knew of Jesus, considered it all, and in humility concluded, truly, this was the Son of God. And that, despite the seeming foolishness of what he had just witnessed, if that truly was the Son of God, what was he doing dying on a cross? For that matter, what was he doing submitting to the authority and and abuse of merely human Jews and Romans? For that matter, what was he doing here on earth at all? It made no sense. And it still doesn't make sense, not to merely human hearts and minds. As Paul told us in our earlier reading, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But that folly is right at the heart of God. And it doesn't make a bit of difference whether Jews or Greeks or atheists or Americans presume to judge it unwise or irrational. The sinful pride that lingers in our hearts and that so often motivates our other sinful attitudes and actions, well, that is perfectly answered by God's folly, which saw that sin and said, no way, no more, and led him to send his own son as the sacrifice that would take away all of our and all the world's sins. He cared, so he acted. 
does it make sense to us that he did this? When we think of an almighty God? No. Does it sound like the well-reasoned plan of an all-knowing God? No. Why would he do that for people who have childishly insisted on their own way instead of his, who have rebelled against him, insulted him, and tried to push him far away? Wouldn't it make more sense to at least make sinners make it all up to him somehow? And why? Why would God even care enough to do anything other than, well, punish and destroy them? Why? Because the Lord loves us despite our disobedience. And love, love makes one do foolish things. In this case, the most important case of all, it led Jesus to a crooked and corrupted court a cross, and the most excruciating death imaginable. It led the sinless Son of God to take on Himself the guilt and the punishment of all people's sins and to suffer not just physical pain, but the pain of separation that the love that He had known for all eternity, He was forsaken by His Father when His grief was at its greatest. This foolish love of God for sinners, for us, led Jesus to death and to the grave. But this message, this truth, a weak Christ cruelly crucified, is wiser than man's wisdom and greater than man's strength. The very pride that would refuse to listen to God and embrace the word and work of His Son to save us is met by this incredibly foolish plan of self-giving love in the heart of the Lord. And God's folly wins. It dispels doubt. It forgives sin. It gives new life. It cleanses our pride. It creates faith. It destroys fear and defeats death and the devil. The self-righteous Pharisees, the mockers, the enemies thinking that a guard and seal could actually contain the Son of God, the unbelieving onlookers, none of them thought it possible that his death would do anything or that he could actually rise from the dead on the third day. And none of them thought that Christ's message and mission made sense. But then again, none of them saw themselves as sinners needing the Savior that he was. But the folly in God's heart was greater than the pride in their and our and everyone's hearts and Christ's crucifixion preaches the most important message anyone can ever hear. The thing that is most important ever to believe. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Yes, he really told us today. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.